Abraham tested. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he hang on. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you would not with you would you have not withheld from me your son your only son Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide and to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Why don't we pray as we, uh, uh, before we uh, consider God's word? Father, we do uh, thank you for your word, and we pray now that uh, you would give us uh, concentration and focus free us from things which would distract us and that uh, you would be teaching us by the power of your word and your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, can everyone hear me loud and clear? Excellent, good. I want you to think about uh, those times in life when you uh, know what God wants you to do and you know what you want to do and the two don't kind of gel, and you've got to make a choice, a decision. 
Right? What are the kinds of situations in life when that uh, we find ourselves in that situation? Uh, if we're Christians, then we will be people who really know and really do experience that that inner tension, because we know what God's word says, and we also know what the uh, sinfulness of our human heart says. And uh, sometimes it's a struggle, isn't it? And sometimes we make the right choice, sometimes we make the wrong choice. For us, uh, those situations are, uh, are about issues of whether we're going to live in a godly way or whether we're going to do something which is sinful. So I know that God wants me to be loving, but in a particular situation I really feel like being unloving. I know that God wants me to act with generosity, but I actually feel like being a bit greedy. I know that God wants me to uh, be moral, but I actually feel like being a little bit on the immoral side. And you've got to make decisions. You've got to make choices. You know that situation, don't you? If you're a godly Christian person, you will be experiencing that almost on a daily basis because you're actually involved in the fight. You're involved in the battle. When you're not experiencing that tension, it's because you're not actually battling. You're not fighting. What if, however, what if God were to require you to do something which, in the absence of a miracle, would make it impossible for God to fulfil something which he had promised to you, what would you do? How would you resolve that? Now, it's very hard for us to imagine that God would ever put us in that situation. But that is exactly the kind of decision that, that God was requiring of Abraham to make. Now, we've been uh, tracking the life story of Abraham for about seven weeks now. And if there's, if there's nothing else that I'm hoping that we would gain from this series on, on Abraham, uh, it's this, that God made three promises to Abraham, didn't he? Three core promises. And what were the promises? He promised firstly that God would give him a people. Secondly, that God would give him a land. And thirdly, that God would give him a blessing and that he would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And we've been tracking uh, those promises over the last seven weeks. You know, Abraham was 75 years of age and uh, Sarah was 65 years of age when God promised Abraham that he would have a family tree. And Sarah was unable to bear children. She was barren. But God said, now you go, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son and I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. Uh, and that was seemingly an impossible promise at the age that they were at, 75 and 65. But it was that seemingly impossible promise that Abraham clung to for a quarter of his life. For the next 25 years, for a quarter of a century, until he was 100. And what happened when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90? They gave birth to a son. They gave birth to a bouncing baby boy. And Last week we read about that and we saw that the son's name was Isaac. Do you remember what the name Isaac actually means? It means laughter. Makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> it's an apt name. You can, can imagine. 
You can imagine people talking about it. You know, you know, you know that old couple, Abraham and Sarah? Well, guess what happened to them? <laughs> They've just given birth to a baby. And it wasn't a mocking kind of laughter. It was the kind of laughter that, uh, that, that is evoked by a surprising joy, if you like. And Sarah said, we'll call him laughter because people are going to laugh at such an exciting thing would happen to us at this age. Now, when we um, open up our Bibles at Genesis chapter 22, uh, if you'd like to do that, <clears throat> and if you go just a few verses above chapter 22 to the end uh, section of chapter 21, the last couple of verses there, we see that uh, not long after uh, Isaac was born that Abraham planted a tree he planted a tree in Beersheba where he lived. It was a tamarisk tree. And you can imagine that, uh, you know, there's sometimes when you plant a tree around the same time that your kid's born and as you're watching that tree grow and get taller, and guess what? You're kind of watching your kids grow and get taller at the same time. And that's what's happened because by the time we get to chapter 22, Isaac... Uh, has now grown into a, into a young boy. He's no longer a baby. And it's, it's hard for us to imagine just how much Abraham loved Isaac. Here was the child who was the child of promise. Here was the child who he had waited 25 years to be born. Here was the impossible promise come true and when we put all of that together on top of just a regular kind of love that a father has for his son then what happens next in this story uh, well it's no wonder that this is a story that really focuses our minds and stirs our emotions as we see what's going to happen in chapter 22 because in verses 1 and 2 the voice of God to Abraham was unmistakable. Take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and go to the mountain I will show you and sacrifice him, kill him. Now these days if someone claimed that God spoke to them and told them to go and kill someone, we would know that that person was unwell. But Abraham was not deluded. Abraham knew God. Abraham had had personal experience of God. Abraham had, God's, had had God speak to him. Abraham had seen God cut a covenant with him. Abraham had bargained with God before God destroyed and rained down destruction on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham saw that happen with his very own eyes. And so the passage gives us the bare facts. We're left to fill in the details. We're left to imagine how Abraham felt about all of this. But in verse 3, we see that he decided, he may have slept on it, and by the next morning he had decided to obey. He saddled his donkey. He uh, 
took Isaac and he took two servants and he took the, prepared the wood for the fire. And normally speaking, you'd probably do things the opposite way around. You'd probably go and get the wood for the fire first and then you'd get the people who were travelling with you, then you'd saddle your donkey. But, uh, you know, you can understand why Abraham might be thinking a little bit differently on this particular morning. It's about 70 kilometres from Beersheba to Mount Moriah. Uh, Mount Moriah is probably where modern-day Jerusalem is. And it was a journey, therefore, that on donkeying and on foot would have taken about three days. Can you imagine the tension for, for Abraham? I mean, the night before, uh, he would not have slept. Uh, he would not have told uh, Sarah what was happening. And then for these three days of travelling, the tension inside of Abraham would have just been uh, Incredible. Incredible for two reasons. Firstly, and most obviously, his fatherly love. I mean, fathers who love their children um, don't harm them. Fathers who love their children do not sacrifice their children at any altar. Fathers who love their children are prepared to sacrifice themselves for the sake of their children. And so there would be this uh, this you know, fatherly tension for Abraham. Secondly, there was a tension in his faith. He had spent one quarter of his life clinging to this clear, spoken promise by God, the promise which had been sealed with the drama of the cutting of a covenant, the promise which God had repeated time and time again, the promise that Abraham's descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, the promise that this would happen through the family line of Isaac, he's been clinging to those promises, but now he's told that before that happens, Isaac must be killed. Two conflicting, contradictory promises or commands from God. And by killing Isaac, he's doing the very thing which, humanly speaking, would make the fulfilment of the promise impossible. You see the problem? How does Abraham resolve all of this? Well, as I say, he had a few days of the journey to think about it. And, there, you know, there's a couple of hints or clues uh, in the passage itself. In Verse 5, when he gets closer to Mount Moriah, he says, and if you care to have a look at that in verse 2, uh, in verse 2, in verse 5 rather, he says this to his servants, uh, he says, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Uh, we will worship and then we will come back to you. We will come back to you. We? What's he thinking? I mean, uh, that's either a lie or it's a hope. It's a hope that somehow God was miraculously going to resolve this conflict. Or in verse 6, in verse 6, the second part of verse 6, as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to, his fa to Abraham, Father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. 
the fire and the water here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Pretty good question, isn't it? And you can imagine the the innocent, the, the questioning, the trusting eyes saying to his dad, I can see the wood, I can see you've got the fire, but hey, what about the lamb? Verse 8, Abraham answers by saying, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, God will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. That's either a lie in order to to help um, Isaac or it's expressing some kind of a hope. Then as they arrive at their destination, Abraham gathers stones to build an altar upon which he heaps the wood that 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 he's bought with him. Everything's ready. The only thing left is the sacrifice, Isaac. And we can only imagine the, the conflict in Isaac where this fusion of both trust and confusion as he allows himself to be bound and to be tied to the altar. Now, do you think that Abraham actually intended to proceed with this sacrifice? I think so. It does seem that way, doesn't it? Uh, he might have hoped that God would change the command at the last moment, but in verse 10 we're told that he reached out his hand and he took the knife in order to slay his own son. God allowed Abraham to go right to the very brink. Now, on your bulletins, I've printed a passage from Hebrews chapter 11. You'll see that on the back of the bulletin, on key verses section there. And I've done that because the author to the Hebrews expresses the problem, the, the, uh, what would you call it, a paradox of faith, perhaps, that uh, Abraham was experiencing. This problem that, the, that the, uh, on the one hand, the promise of God to Abraham, that Abraham would have descendants through Isaac, but on the other hand, that before that happens, Isaac must be killed. And in verse 19, we're told that Abraham reasoned that God would raise the dead, that he would resurrect Isaac. Now, Abraham knew God. Abraham knew God as El Shaddai, as God Almighty. Abraham knew the God who could bring life from, the, from a womb which was as good as dead. Abraham knew the God who could rescue Lot and his family as he rained down judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw that with his own eyes. Abraham knew that God was faithful to his promises and that God was powerful to do the impossible. And so, against every fatherly inclination and against all human reason, he was prepared to do two things. What are the two things? Trust God 
and obey God. And Hebrews tells us that figuratively speaking, Isaac was raised from the dead because guess what? He was as good as dead. He was as good as dead. Let's go back to the passage, shall we? Because uh, back in uh, the passage, as, as Abraham was about to draw blood, what happened? An angel of the Lord appeared and he spoke in verse 12 to Abraham saying, do not lay a hand on the boy, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And there in the thicket, in the, in the dense bush, appeared what? A ram, a, 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 an adult male sheep with his horns caught in the, uh, in the thicket. See, what Abraham had said to Isaac actually did come true, didn't it? That uh, God would provide the sacrifice. I don't know if Abraham knew what he was saying when he said that, but uh, God actually provided the sacrifice and Abraham went and called that place Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Uh, and that's what happened. Now, the question, therefore, is why did God do all of this? And, and how does it help us in our faith and in our obedience to God, in our godliness? Let me, make, let me do, draw two points from this. First of all, we cannot fail to see this one very important point, and that is, that God did not ask Abraham to do something which God himself was not prepared to do. Take your son, your only son, the son of your love, and put him to death. Because only then, only then will, the, the, will there be a multitude of true descendants of Abraham. Abraham's problem was this. How can the death of my son and the promise of descendants through him both be fulfilled? And ultimately that is in the cross of Jesus. Because you see, friends, a sacrifice is a payment for sin. A sacrifice clears the debt that we owe to God for the many times when we have not trusted, for the many times when we have not obeyed. And let's face it, those times are too many to even count, aren't they? If we're honest about ourselves. And there's no sacrifice which we could ever possibly give that would cancel the debt that we owe to God. Truth is that we all need, we all deserve God's judgment. But remember the ram in the thicket who took the place of Isaac. Well, God has provided a lamb in our place. Uh, it was John the Baptist who, upon meeting Jesus, says, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was God himself on the Mount of Transfiguration who said, This is my son, my only son whom I love. Who In him I am well pleased. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 says that God 
did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all. You know, I think when I think of that, of, of uh, Abraham as a father myself, I, I just cannot imagine the inner, the inner torment, the, the torture, uh, the, the struggle, the agony which, which he endured as he had resolved to proceed with the sacrifice. How much more can we not imagine the agony that, that, that God the Father endured? Because on the cross, there was no last-minute substitute, was there? On the cross, the execution went ahead as planned. On the cross, the sacrifice was made. Jesus did die. He died so that you and I could be forgiven. He died so that you and I could be saved from God's judgment. He died so that the debt which we owe God could be paid. He died so that we ultimately, through forgiveness, through being reconciled with God, could become the people whom God had promised to Abraham, who could become the multitude of people from all nations who've been blessed, who could come because we have the faith that Abraham had to trust God at his word. That is why Jesus died. And how, therefore, do we respond to this? Well, the only way that we can respond appropriately to the death of Christ on the cross on our behalf is that one word, trust. To trust that his death has indeed paid for our sin. To trust that his death has indeed cancelled the debt that we owed towards God to trust that there's nothing which we could do to add to that, but simply to rest in what he has done for us. Now, have you done that? Because it's a free offer, but it's an offer which we must accept. And it's an offer which we can accept simply by acknowledging our own guilt before God and trusting that God's Son, Jesus, has paid the debt which we, we deserved. That's great news, isn't it? That's fantastic news. That's the great news of the Gospel. But have you done that yet? Have you accepted that free gift? We all need to think through that particular question. The second thing about this event is that it shows us what true faith actually is. Now, I don't particularly like tests, and testing someone can be a very negative thing. Uh, think about the way that Jesus was tested when the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of law, when they tested Jesus, what were they trying to do? They were trying to trip him up, weren't they? Uh, when they tested Jesus, they were trying to trick him. There are some people who try to test you because, guess what, they want you to fail. Right? But uh, testing is also a very positive thing. 
uh, when we test something or we test someone in order to, uh, to prove uh, their, um, their strength or to improve uh, their abilities. And so testing is a good thing. Got some students here sitting for HSC exams soon, have we? It's a good thing, guys. It's a good thing. Okay. It's a good thing. Testing is a good thing. And when we look at uh, verse 1, what does it tell us that God was doing with Abraham? It tells us that God was testing Abraham. Now, let's think about where we've seen this testing take place elsewhere in the book of Genesis. If you remember back to uh, Genesis chapter 3, um, God had placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and God had said to them that, look, you, you can eat of any, the fruit of any of the trees in the Garden of Eden, but there is one tree that you must not eat the fruit of. You must not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you do that, you'll surely die. Right? So it's a not a good thing. Trust me on this. It's not a good thing for you to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which has been planted right there in the middle of the garden. And so Adam and Eve were put in a situation where they were being tested. Would they trust God at his word and obey him? If they did, it would lead to life. If they didn't, it would lead to death. So did they pass the test or did they fail the test? No, they failed the test because they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did Abraham fail the test? No. Instead, he proved that he was in a relationship with God not because of what he could get out of a relationship with God. You know why? You know the best reason to be in a relationship with God is? Best reason to be in a relationship with God is because we love God. <laughs> because he's worthy of our love. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our obedience. And Abraham proved that he trusted and he loved God no matter the cost. When Abraham bound Isaac, his promised son, to an altar, when Abraham picked up that knife, what was happening is that what it means to truly trust God was entering into new heights, profound heights. And that helps you and me, doesn't it? As we seek to live out our love for God, as we want to show our trust uh, that his way is always the best way. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says that in view of God's mercy, that is because of what God has done in forgiving us through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, Paul says in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, that we should offer up sacrifices. Now, not the sacrifice of a, a lamb on an altar, uh, not someone's son as a sacrifice, but he says, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a sacrifice, but as a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. 
What does that mean? Well, it means that in the many and varied situations of temptation that we face, when we find ourselves in those situations where we know what God wants and we know what we want and the two ain't the same thing, we know which way we're going to go, don't we? We're going to trust that God's way is in fact the best way. We're going to put our trust in him always and we're going to obey what God wants. Right. Let's pray about all of this. <clears throat> Father, we want to, uh, as we reflect on the incredible story of the testing of Abraham, we cannot dare to imagine the anguish that Abraham experienced. And we know, therefore, that the temptations that, and the trials and testings that we're placed in pale into insignificance in respect to that. But uh, we realise, Father God, that uh, ultimately Isaac was not sacrificed, but that Jesus was. And we thank you because we recognise that you have undergone incredible uh, pain in the sacrifice of your own son Jesus on the cross to pay for our sins. We pray that in response to that, that we would be people who have the faith of Abraham, that we would be people who uh, make a decision to be living sacrifices and to always trust that your way is the best way and to therefore obey. Grant us the strength to do that and grant us, Father God, that we would always be thinking through the fact that you're sacrificed for us and therefore it is appropriate that we offer our lives as living sacrifices to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to sing now and over to the musos. Okay, welcome.